Got I got I got my shea here. I got my pumpkin pie. Pump nothing like pumpkin pie in April, as the old saying goes. Alrighty, and you have a question for me or what? Oh yeah. You know, we've been dealing with rap and hip hop. Mmm, this is good pie. I highly recommend pumpkin pie in April. So anyway, Shay, I uh, you know we've been dealing with rap and hip hop, and I know you're a musical guy yourself. So I just want to see if you can tell me. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I want you to tell me. This is so fucking obnoxious for the listeners. Like, you're playing the flute. I'm sitting here eating fucking delicious April pumpkin pie. Classic April pumpkin pie. And yeah, anyway, Shay, what year do you think the first rap song came out? And as bonus points, who wrote it and what is it called? It's called uh, Rapper's Delight. It came out in 1979 and uh, it's, uh, I don't know who wrote it. Okay, You're, you're wrong. You're referring to the commonly misconceived first rap song mm. i guess the og oh god is that racist rap song uh, that ever came out was written by pig meat markham in 1968 and it's called here comes the judge and uh here comes my judgment of you for being a total moron <laughs> you fucking i don't idiot. believe this answer at all uh, well, who's your source bad. who is your all source right, let's go ahead who's and start your the show <laughs> Welcome to Camp Re-Education, an immersive boot camp into the world we thought we knew. We are your hosts, Ian and Shay, concluding our two-week immersion into the world of emo rap. Shay, 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 and what a week it has been. I mean, talk about ups, talk about downs, talk about... Fentanyl overdoses. We we mm. did it all and more in this week's episode of Camp Reeducation. That's right, Ian. Uh, so before I let you skirt past your awful cold open, uh, so during oh, no. during, during that musical break, I Whoa. you you confessed your source to me, and I would like the listeners to decide for themselves if they think Quora is an official uh, an official source that you can trust. For things like it's, this, I could have said it, that. So much it's like better. Wikipedia without the fact check, my man. All right, I think it is completely reliable in that sense. And hey, don't take our word for it. Why don't we throw the song up for just a second? We'll let the listeners decide. Okay, uh, here I go. Ooh. Yeah, he, yeah, he, the cold up swing is just about ready to do that thing. I don't want no tears. I don't want no lies. Above all, I don't want no alibis. This judge is hip. And that ain't all. He'll give you time if you're big or small. Fall in line or this coat is neat. Peace, brother. Look up. Here come the judge. Here come the judge. Everybody know that he is the judge. That's a dope song. <laughs> that's a sick song. It's pretty cool. But I, you know what? Like maybe, maybe that's rap. I don't, you know what? I don't know why I'm like so like dead set on you just being wrong about this thing. I was like, no, I was right. My answer was right. Shay, if all we did was agree, we wouldn't have a show. All right. So anyway, speaking of being wrong, speaking of being right, it is the conclusion of emo rap camp. And uh, boy, oh boy, what a week it has been. Uh, we gotta say, this was almost a completely different mm -hmm. type of episode. We we 
we're ready to go fucking nuclear on emo rap. Like we we had had it up to here with fucking emo rappers canceling on us when they realized that like the interviews weren't about them and like us basically like you know blowing them and coddling their balls they were like whoa man i i really thought that this was going to be all about me like i Uh thought you were just going to fluff me while i smoked a blunt and it's just like jesus (laughs) yeah too much yeah no it's fine uh we um yeah so we had a really tough time nailing down our expert interviews um Fortunately, uh, we found the amazing Fantasy Camp, who was our expert this week, and he like yeah. walked us through a little bit of the ins and outs of producing and being a singer for emo rap. And uh, so, actually, why don't you get a little taste of some of his music right here? Ooh, yeah, that's some. Oh, hello. That's some sexy stuff. It's so oh, hello. So that of, I'm horny. <laughs> so that, of course, is Fantasy Camp. That's his song Nonsense, which you can hear in its entirety at the end of the episode. But beyond that. Uh, We're doing something new since we do have an expert guest who is an emo rap producer himself. Anytime you hear him talk, the beats underneath that, that's going to be some extra fantasy camp for you, for you lovely listeners. So basically... All the music, except for our music, is gonna be uh, is gonna be from Fantasy Camp today. So uh, you're in for quite a treat. Cool. Uh, I guess beyond um, just absolutely having it up to fucking here with with emo rappers. Um, and it okay. I gotta ask real quick. Did that kind of ruin the music for you a little bit? Like just getting canceled on by a, like emo rapper after emo rapper after emo rapper. Like it, it made me like the people in the genre a lot more. And thus, like, enjoy the music uh, less. I was like, you're, no, no, fuck you. Fuck you and your songs about solipsism, you selfish little shit. I think you you meant to say you liked the people a lot less, right? In the genre? I maybe it maybe like some of the music less. I was yeah. even I was I was unable to separate the genre from the, the people making it. And I was just like, yeah, fuck. Yeah, yeah, every yeah. last one of you. I think you said you like the people more after they bailed on us. Oh, did I? Yeah, no, I no, I didn't. You... I didn't mean to. Say, I don't think I did. But we'll find it. Post. That's not what I meant. I I meant I was liking the people less. Uh, it made me enjoy the yeah. music less. Uh, yeah, it definitely left a sour taste in my mouth. But I will say. Uh, speaking of fantasy camp did make me feel better. I was like, all right, there's hope after all. Yeah, no, but I a hundred percent like agree. Like I was like was really coming around. I was like, man, I really fucking like this. Like I had, I had rounded this corner where I was like, I actually think this is like a really cool genre. Like I'm like super into it. I'm like vibing generally with, I don't know, everything they got going on here in the, like the emo rap world. And then as soon as we started talking to the musicians themselves uh, and they started bailing on us, I was like, well, maybe these people are all like assholes. Like maybe we just like like this music made by like these snotty brat bratty kids, you know? And like maybe... I don't know. It's so funny because I also feel like so old when I start talking about like whippersnappers basically and whatever. But yeah, they all bailed on us and it like really put a sour taste on. So, you know, again, thank God for Fantasy Camp. So he really, uh, he really helped us out. And not only that, he also was our expert judge for the songs that we made. So we spent the last, the rest uh, of this time perfecting, not perfecting, fuck, like just finishing. Tweaking. Tweaking, yeah. yeah. Uh, Putting that final layer of coat of paint on. Uh-huh, on, on our songs. And um, we have two, two done songs that I think are good enough for us, good enough for camp education, at least in the first two weeks of like understanding this genre. So, and we're going to definitely go ahead and play those for you at the end, as well as including fantasy camps 
expert analysis on uh, our shortcomings for the songs. Uh, and I was uh, just to kind of go back to the whippersnapper thing for a second too. I will uh, like beyond just even like listening to the music. And we'll talk about this a little bit later too, but like really learning about the people making this music and mm. not liking what I found because there's just this huge gap between the kind of uh, songs they're writing and then like who they are in real life. And it's just like, oh God, this is, it made it feel a lot less authentic. E even the going through the Instagrams of a lot of these like smaller emo rappers and then like listening to their music and then just like watching them fumble around through life. It's like, oh God, I can't, I can't believe I listened to what you had to say at all. Yeah, it's been one hell of a week. So without any further stalling for time, let's go ahead and let our ad take us away. And then we will jump into the meat and potatoes with some of this week's expert interviews. Uh, sponsor, take it away. Today's episode is brought to you by AutoTune. You don't even have to be talented anymore to be famous. It doesn't matter, nothing matters Robots should be the future of entertainment Nothing matters anymore Auto-tune Thank you sponsor, as always you make selling out feel right so like Shay had mentioned before the break, we've got a lot of clips here from our interviews with, uh, should we call him by his uh, stage name or by his actual name? I guess we, I guess we should have asked him. Yeah, we should have. His name's Jonah. I kind of want to call him Fantasy Camp. That feels a lot more fun. Okay, I guess we'll, <laughs> all right. So uh, Jonah Fantasy Camp, however, I wish we would ask. Anyway, so, uh, you know, last week, Shay and I had had a discussion about whether or not happy music was better than sad music. And I couldn't, uh, you know, resist asking our guest his thoughts. I, I do feel good because I feel like he was kind of on my side. Shay wasn't having it, but uh, we, this was an idea that we kind of chewed on because, you know, emo rap itself, the genre is, it's in the name, emotive, emotional, like melodramatic. And I wanted to see what our guest thoughts on this were. So without further ado, here's what he had to say. Well, I think there has to be a balance between both. I mean, if all music was sad, no one, I mean, not no one, I would still listen to it, but <laughs> <laughs> I think a majority of people would not want to turn on the radio. So you have to have, like, a lot of people use music in the way that, you know, it's just something they listen to when they're on their way to work or they need it to pump themselves up at the gym or something. But for me, I, I want to listen to music for the emotional experience. I want to feel like I'm connected to the artist in some type of way or identify with their feelings. So like, you know, if it's just Pharrell singing, I'm happy over and over again in a chorus, I'm just like, I, I don't know if I believe you. <laughs> like, <clears throat> but I think it's easier. I do think it's easier to write a sad song than a happy song because it's like, I feel like you're more driven to artistic creativity when you're angry or sad or you need to figure out a way to express that emotion without uh, taking a toll on the people around you. Yeah. Um, whereas if you're happy, you're just in a good mood and you want to talk to people. <laughs> like, I, I've never been in a great mood and just been like, I want to record a song about this. It 
it was interesting asking him his opinion, especially him being an, an emo rapper, like someone involved in like the emotional, like one of the most emotional genres that exists right now. And even him saying that there needs to be like a balance between like the sad and the happy. And like, I don't know. So like there's like on, on the surface, I feel like this is a very easy question, but like I I feel like there's something deeper in this, like in the sense that like. Why, why, why does it feel easier to write a sad song? Like, why do you think he says that it's sadness is easier? Cause I like, I have an intuitive understanding of why I think that would be the case. I'm just curious why you think it would be. Well, maybe because happiness is, I, and I could be wrong here, but I think happiness is an emotion that we feel with community. So it's better expressed with other people where it looks like, I think sadness is very individual. Like mm. unless you have a situation like Midsommar, right? Where it's like the, the commute, you're in a cult and everybody feels all emotions together. I think sadness is like a, an individual emotion and like, it, it's hard to articulate that. So uh, that's why I think we turn to sad music um, to kind of, uh, to get help interpreting that emotion. I, I don't know, like, what do you think of that? That's an interesting idea. I hadn't considered the community aspect or like the other people aspect of that. Um, yeah. I don't know. You know, uh, honestly, my, my first gut reaction was that just sadness is easier, you know, that like, being sad is like stasis for a lot of people or like or it can be especially for and you know there's like the stereotype too of like the sad creative or like the super emotional creative and like you know obviously you hear like you know the members of the 27 club being like virtually like depressed by nature like all of them like having like tragic deaths and now we have like the new 27 club which is like the 20 club or something it's like the 2021 club yeah it's tragic yeah. So I it almost feels like there's like this uh honestly just the idea that there's like the 27 club has been like shortened their lifespan has drastically. been sh- drastically. Yeah. Like what what is that saying like is about a like a society in I don't know maybe that's an oversimplification or just like almost more of a coincidence than anything else. But it feels like it is saying something. Well, you know, I mean, I I think that I I've talked about this before. I don't know if you totally agree with this or not, but I think we're living in like a sadder age like the virtual age is like in an in essence like a cold remote period of time Mm. and i think it's easier for people to be drawn to like sad i don't want to say solipsistic but i i may maybe like uh, again if we're talking about sadness as being an isolated or isolated emotion then it makes more sense of people to for people to be drawn to that at a time when like everything's done through a screen school is done through a screen like think about like connections are done through a screen like all of these aspects of intimacy that uh, aren't there i think it's it, there's more to relate to now or i guess like maybe these sadder like so you know reverb filled moaning like anthems make more sense to people who are like uh alienated from each other well you know what's interesting about all this is like we we watched a lot of uh interviews of like you know the the the, the big dead three i don't know what to call them honestly like that's oh my just, god i feel uh, like you could do better than the big dead is that three a, i mean i know that's like offensive on some level but like is it like wrong or is it the big deceased? Like, I don't <laughs> fucking know. <laughs> Somehow that feels worse. Um, hey, yeah, fuck. I don't know. I, don't know. I, I don't mean, like, know. okay, you know what? I'm not even gonna fucking step on this grenade, dude. Like, you're 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 laying over right now. Like, what do I do now? And I'm like, you just explode. I like, thought. You know what's funny about this is like, I agree that I'm probably uh, sprawled over a grenade right now, but I don't really <laughs> realize it. Like, I I'm sure I'm fucking up somehow, but I don't understand 
why or how. I'm just like, this is you. I know. I'm just. I don't know how you're gonna throw this back at me some way, shape, or form. Like you're just gonna like roll at the last minute, and I'm gonna get hit with all the shrapnel and killed. Like I, I don't feel. I don't feel good about this at all. <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll just blaze past it. So, the these three famous dead people who started a movement, or at least like capital, the 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 foremost people to capitalize on it. We watched a lot of their interviews, like talking just generally about stuff. And the takeaway that I think we both had from this was that they're not, they do not come across as very conventionally intelligent people. And maybe, maybe the best way to describe it is maybe just, they seem naive and immature. And like, I think that there's like this weird, uh, I don't know, contradiction that seems to exist. Like how can these people make such moving art without having what seems like a grasp on reality generally. That was probably maybe the most jarring experience of this camp, honestly, was like listening to these songs that did feel extremely emotionally in tune, where like you hear a song and you're just like, oh, okay, like I, I, this, this guy understands something innate about the human condition. I'm like literally watching interviews of fucking triple X Tentation saying black holes were made by the government and they're <laughs> in the middle of the earth. I was just like, what the fuck am I listening to right now? Like a little peep. Them asking him, like, what's, have you ever, like, what's the most romantic thing you've ever done? He's like, fuck without a condom. And I'm like, okay, little peep. <laughs> yeah, it's super weird. And so you and I have been having this question, like, is this just indulgence or do they understand something deep about the human condition? And like, I think that maybe it's just, they know what it's like to feel sad and can describe it in the most barest terms without like any pretense or whatever and so it's it's basically like emotional junk food you know like you can consume it in the same way i think that people criticize pop music for just being overly saccharine and uh and vapid i think this is just it's it's like a faux vulnerability where you you just say like i'm so sad like the the fuck like we see memes about this you know like people are just like me depressed when blah 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 and like if you if you include like mental health issues or like depression in a meme now on like instagram i feel like you're guaranteed to get like, like 10,000 likes exactly like cuz everyone's like oh yeah i'm so depressed too and you know i you know obviously i know there's like depression's like a real issue or whatever but it's also like fucking clickbaity now but this is like what i was talking about in part 1 like the distinction between clinical depression and like cultural depression. And I do, I do think that we're in this age of like this cultural phenomenon of, of malaise and sadness and, and sorrow. Um, but I would, I would disagree and say, I don't believe that it's, it's full, full vulnerability. I, I do agree that I think it's like a naive vulnerability or maybe just an, an immature one. Because again, like you're talking about experiences for these people that have, that are like ahistorical, that are contextless. So of course, like they have this sense that they're inventing the wheel because it's like, oh, like no one's gonna, uh, no one has expressed these emotions in, through the same like lens that I have. We're like, we understand that we have because we're 32, but I gotta be honest, like when I was 22, like, every emotion felt like the fucking end of the world. Mm. I was like, I was like, I will never ever feel this way. Like how good I feel right now, how in love I feel right now, I'll never feel this way again. And in a way that that's not an incorrect <laughs> thought. It, it's not though. In a way it's not an incorrect thought. No, totally. I agree with you. I agree with yeah. you. Yeah. Because I, like it, these these emotions and these feelings, they, they haven't been tainted by the uh, experiencing these emotions in another place. And like, I'll, I'll give a, a quasi related example. I was in um, Taiwan years ago and literally like walking around, uh, traveling around the country. I was like, this feels like Vietnam and California. And I think that that's the great tragedy of experience. It's like everything that you do starts to feel like a combination of something else. Mm. 
So it's like it, it detracts from that. So uh, th- th- I think that rawness is real, but I do think it's not informed. But does that matter? That's a great question and a great point. And I actually really like I super relate on the idea of no novel experience. Like everything is just like an iteration of an experience you've already had. Like I've definitely experienced that as well, like traveling. You're just like, oh yeah, this is kind of like this place or this place. But it's, al- yeah. it's also something about the brain that does that, right? Like we're trying to like contextualize experience and everything. And I think as we get older, that's kind of like what the brain does does it's just it's it, it's trying to it tries to put everything we've already experienced into boxes that were hard hard won hard forged like it was hard for us to make these like experience boxes and so now i feel like maybe just de facto that's what our mind does is try and put these in some other box that makes sense for us to understand it and maybe that's why it feels so boring when we have experiences now in our 30s compared to you know like our our heartbreak in our early 20s or our love in our early 20s our depression in our early 20s and you know teen years like those experiences did feel fucking devastating yeah earth shattering you know like you would just i don't know i remember like my one of my first really serious breakups with um a a partner that you know uh eric when, Mm. when when her and i broke up that was a really intense fucking like awful awfully intense breakup like i remember just spending weeks lying in bed unable to fall asleep at night clenching my pillows and just thinking i am the most alone i have ever been and like that feeling just like emptying out my entire identity and that was so fucking rough and like i've had breakups since then that were like pretty like intense you know like like very intense relationships end and it's just like this will pass like this is hard this sucks like this is raw and rough, but like, mm. I'll be okay. And I guess that what you're saying, and so maybe I agree with you. Maybe it's still, it is, it's not faux vulnerability. It's just really naive. naive. Yeah. 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 And it's funny because even hearing you say this, Fantasy Camp mentioned this in the interview when, when the appeal of these songs was this kind of nostalgia of the, of the unfamiliar. And I think one of the reasons that like, even... Uh, as older adults, we were drawn to this music is I think of that uh, expression of for heroin, like after your first dose, you're always chasing the dragon. Mm, Honestly, I I now think of nostalgia as a type of heroin. Like you're always Mm. trying to chase that, like that first emotion and all you're getting is just like a watered down version of that, that original high. But uh, I mean, Mm. like the taste is there. So well, that's funny. I think we've talked about this before. Nostalgia is not like that for me. I don't like nostalgia. Nostalgia is a painful feeling for me. And I don't think it, uh, anybody likes being addicted to heroin. Shan. <laughs> <laughs> but some people like nostalgia. Like I'm thinking, like I, I know I you were going to say, some people like heroin. Some people, well, yeah. that's fair. Shay, some people love heroin. <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, but like, uh, like I know people who are like, oh my god, let's listen to our oldies, or let's listen to like the music we listened to in like middle school, and like sometimes that's fun, but oftentimes, especially if I'm alone, that's a really painful experience. I'm like, oh yeah, this is like a a period of my life that is just gone now forever i am not that same person none of those connections or relationships are the same like that is a dead time everything from that time is different it's dead it's withered like i've evolved and changed and i've become this other person that i just honestly like who i am now feels so separate from there like the the thread of time that brought me from that version of me to this version of me that feels so separate disparate you know it's just it's not the same thing so i think looking back at that it's like looking at you know and i'm, I'm reminded of a, a very unrelated <laughs> metaphor that you shared with me before when it's just like 
if you if you're afraid of aging, you'll die a thousand deaths along the way, or, or what is it? I, no, like more or less, that's it. It's something along the lines of like. If you put all of your stock into like your your physical beauty, if like your appearance is the thing that matters most to you, you will die a thousand deaths before you actually die. Yeah. And so I feel like if you take that and like make a parallel of just like maybe like experience or something, it's just like you're, mm. I've died like so many versions of my identity have happened since 14 year old Shay, you know, and like yeah. all of those identities are dead to some extent. Like they all like paved the way to like who I am now but they're all none of those shades are around anymore you know and i'm and that's that's hard here's the thing i agree with you but be, uh, because i i hate i'm self-loathing um <laughs> anything that i think is true i'm like oh, that's probably the opposite is the true thing <laughs> so it's like I, you know this is a line of thinking that i kind of adhere to but at the same time it's like i understand this draw or this like need or this longing for the past, like this this um, enjoyment of nostalgia, because in so many senses of the world, like the past is the only thing that's real. Mm. Um, like the the present as it's unfolding almost feels like a like a dream or like a false reality, and only after it's over and we can process it, that it does it exist to us. So it's like I, I get that because I you know I I, I don't know like self identity definitely comes into a lot of it. I mean this is like an exciting conversation. Like yeah. I, I, this is fun to think about. And I know this has nothing to do with emo rap, but fuck it, like we're in a roll. Let's keep going. <laughs> I mean, it's so funny. It, like yeah, I mean I totally agree. It's so funny the uh, the idea that you're talking about about like the present is like being a dream. Like I'm reminded of this one metaphor is like the present is where the ocean meets the sand. It's like it's the border between mm. the wave and the beach. Like there is no actual line there. There is no actual present. You have water and you have beach. And there's like the shoreline does not exist. You just yeah. have land and water and there is no shoreline. And that's the present. Yeah. I like that. That's where, where is that from, by the way? Uh, I just had a curiosity. Some, some TED talk. I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> Ew, gross. <laughs> Welcome to the Camp Education TED Radio Hour. I'm your host, Ira Glass. I've got a boner. Uh, <laughs> all right. Okay. But uh, uh, for anyone who's listening, I'm, uh, you may be shocked to learn I'm not I actually Ira Glass and I don't actually have a boner. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, just to, <laughs> to kind of to kind of move out, since we've wrung all of emo rap out of that conversation to kind of bring us back in, um, kind of in the same line of this like emotional aspect of these songs, we talked with Fantasy Camp about like songwriting and emo rap. And, and I thought he had some interesting things to say. And Shay, I know this like uh, brought up a, a pretty emotionally intense conversation between us at one point. So um, let's hear what he has to say and then let's kind of like dive in and, and swim around in these ideas. I think I write the same way most people in my genre write, just from personal situations. And this relates back to something you guys have talked a lot about. Instead of going to therapy, <laughs> you just uh, <laughs> write a song about it and you feel better for at least like two days. You almost feel like silly when you do it. Like you're like, is this, is this like cringy or am I like right. sharing too much and just like, I should probably like mask this in some other way. But I think that is like a huge thing in emo rap is that like artists don't do that. Yeah. And they just say like exactly what they're feeling. And then also you have to sometimes mix in a lyric where you're just flexing, like <laughs> the, totally, totally unrelated to e everything else in the song. That's so You funny. just have to talk about like how many girlfriends you have or like, <laughs> How much jewelry? <laughs> yeah. 
Like, listen, you really <laughs> fucked me up. Have you seen this watch? It's a very nice watch. <laughs> yeah. back, back to the heartbreak. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So making this music has been interesting, I think, for both of us, like the actual act of making it. And I I know we both have some identity issues with this. And uh, it's it's been really interesting for me. And I guess just to just to like break this down, like, uh, you know, I've been a musician for like a long time. So like actually like making this music feels both very familiar, but also like like I'm putting on like uh, you you used a metaphor like this before where you're like you're putting on uh, like maybe old clothes you used to wear or like a costume you used to wear. And like that actually like really resonates. I'm like, yeah, this was like uh, like. I mean, honestly, that feels like such a good metaphor because it's like it does feel like something I used to put on, like an identity that I would walk around in and express myself and like talk to other musicians as a musician and just like relate to them in in that way. But like, especially in the last two years, like those clothes have worn out and like I don't they don't fit me the same way and whatever. So like putting that kind of back on and like trying to like make this music it's it's a little hard for me, but I know for you, you gave up this hat like a very long time ago. And um, I mean, what has that experience been like for you? You know, it's it's funny just hearing you say that. I'm reminded of like a lot of these really pretentious books and articles that oh, they have the same fucking line when they're talking about personality. They're like, the word personality comes from persona, which was the Greek word for masks. Uh, ancient Greek actors of uh, ancient Athens would wear these masks on stage. Personality is nothing more than a mask that we put on for others, is it not? I'm uh, a person on the radio. Ira Glass again. Aren't you still Ira Glass <laughs> with your bones? Yeah, I don't. Fuck. I don't want to do Ira Glass again. No, let me someone else. <laughs> I am the notoriously toxic host of Reply All. We don't know his name. We never learned his name. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, fuck it. Who cares? Anyway. Yeah, no. So what he said uh, in that, getting out of Captain's Log, what he said in the interview was that, you know, like you have to get to this like really emotional place where you're writing exactly what you're feeling. And it's funny, like as a 32-year-old adult, I understand like utter sincere communication to be something that exists in like a moral desert. Like that, I, I would be violating social norms. Like there's a medical condition for that. It's called uh, it's called Asperger's syndrome. <laughs> Jesus Christ! What's funny about that is I also just saw on fucking Instagram this uh, this quote from like a self helpy therapisty thing, and I, I, I just I know this yeah. is a quick aside, but I just like curious. It says honesty without tact is cruelty. Do you agree with that? A hundred percent. Interesting. Uh, you know, and it's funny because like this was a, an essay assignment I used to assign for my students. And I was like, what is the difference between truth and honesty? Mm. Because I want them to get to think about like, you know, there's that Mark Twain quote, like the difference between the uh, right word and the almost right word is the difference between lightning and lightning bug. Mm. And, um, you know, there's, I, I was a fucking, I was an English teacher. Like I got to fill fucking time. It's like, ah, uh, here it is. Here's today's uh, essay prompt. Um, but no, it's like, this is one of the things that like, uh, I would get them to think about because I think that honesty is like an emotional, um, version of what happened. And truth is just like an objective version. And I think that if you're honest, you can kind of communicate how you feel, but if you're telling the truth, sometimes that can come out just a, a little, a little too harsh. Mm. 
But like, as like subjective beings, like what what does the objective even mean there? Like we are emotional. Like there, there's no objective. So like, if there's no objective, then like, is there a difference, or is like is honesty then just like a a compassionate or empathic interpretation of truth? This is this has kind of been my own belief, or at least the way that I understand and explain these concepts. Because uh, I, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Again, like, and I, I'm thinking of them. I'll admit, I'm thinking of them in narrative, artistic terms. Um, and I think that as someone who's like studied literature, like it, it is a distinction that matters. Like being honest and telling the truth. Um, and you know, spitting facts. Dude, I, you but call yeah, no. me lie lazy. I'm remembering this now. So like, what? Yeah. Because you think that there's a, a, an amount of falsehood that should exist in what what is this honesty then or like like <laughs> wh- wh- where does that belong honesty yeah honesty makes room for a little lie <laughs> <laughs> well, what is that okay so truth and lying are are opposites for you but not honesty and lying yeah sure let's go with that <laughs> Okay. All right, all right. Enough that of that works. aside. What were you saying before? <laughs> well, I'm I saying, okay, like uh, if you're uh, okay, like I, I, I'm saying everyone I think would agree with me. I think everybody would agree with me that there are shit. There is room for lying in every single relationship and every environment. Like in, in many instances, it is better to lie than to be honest or tell the truth. I agree. But then is it honesty then? Because it sounds if you're, I would say I would argue and I think a lot of people would also argue that lying and honesty are opposites. And you can't say you're being honest with someone when you're lying to them a little bit. And that's why I wonder, like, honesty without tact is cruelty. Is tact in this context? Does that mean lies? Because like an honest answer might be like, no, you're dr- like your drinking is repulsive to me. But like the way you communicate that might be like, Hey, we should consider maybe uh, acknowledging like our drinking in our lives. Like that's true, but it's not the fuck. It's not honest. I mean, well, it's honest, but is that the whole truth? No. Like there's a lie in there. Is that what tact is? Is like not including the whole truth? It's it's lying by omission. Yes. I think tact is is lying by omission. It's not like <laughs> constructing a fantasy, but I do think that it is leaving out some of the the, the key details. Okay. And it's funny because like how much truth gets uh needs to be omitted before it's technically a lie right mm-hmm. so yeah 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 exactly. but anyway so uh email <laughs> rap <laughs> so shay i'm gonna put you on this what does this have to do with emo rap my friend i told you i was taking us on a quick segue all right do you want me to bring us, back? Bring, us, bring back. us back bring us back <laughs> persona no um yeah but no like fantasy camp had kind of said uh if you're going to be writing emo rap lyrics you have to just like bear it all like you put it all on the table and i don't know if that's like brave i don't know if i don't you don't even thinking of that now like i do think there is a kind of bravery to it especially in a culture that uh, it's almost done like a turnaround too. like talk about cultural trends coming back because like in the 90s with seinfeld it was just like we were all fucking irony bros um and then that gave way to like shit like you know parks and recreation like authenticity came back in full and like it's almost like we're kind of back to irony like the I, I, the Trump years felt very irony laden. Like if you if you bought into this bullshit, like you were just a fucking rube. Um, and I don't know. Like, do you think it's making a comeback? Do you think emo rap is like a, a sign of uh, the authenticity return? Like a, like some fucking astrological moon moving into you know Saturn's uh, uh, like butt crack or something? <laughs> I think on the face of it maybe but i also think there's like this commodification of it where like you know the the term vulnerability porn exists for a reason you know like i think that like some of this is just people who maybe 
to the point you're making, like we live very different lives now where we're not ever really in the same place. Like the way we interact with people has been forever changed by the internet and like interactivity is so different that maybe this is like in the same way, like you don't, you, maybe you don't have real sex. You look at people fucking online and you touch yourself. Like maybe this is like, I don't have real connection. I listen to people online, like talk about their feelings because no one will do that with me. So like, I wonder if this is like a parallel and that's in that sense where it's a commodification of something really deep and dark and you know, you know, whatever. Further like, commodification of like intimacy, authentic, authenticity, you know, it's like, yeah. and it's, it's, it's hard. Like when you live in an age where everything is everything is a brand and you're thinking of everything through the lens of marketing like can can there even be such a thing as like vulnerability if you're packaging it and selling it so it's it's tough it's a really tough question yeah that's a that's a great way of putting it yeah i don't know because i i do know that the, i mean th that does exist like i feel like you know i fucking love andrew bird there's no surprise to, to to you you know hearing that but like i think andrew bird touches on some really beautiful and truly vulnerable topics you know um like he like I, there's this one song called i think it's just called the birthday song and it's like him very gently like singing the story of like the most quotidian morning of like preparing breakfast and like pouring the coffee and that's literally all he's talking about and then like the the surprise reveal of the song is, is like he's making breakfast in bed for uh, assumedly his partner and he's like and then i sing you happy birthday and that's like kind of like the reveal of the song and it's super beautiful and intimate and like vulnerable but not in a way that i mean it, it feels like a mature honest vulnerability not in the way that i feel like here it's like my heart is broken i'm really really sad i feel bad you know like that's like what i feel like we're hearing now and it's just like it just feels like it's being uh fire hosed at you and i think you kind of hit the nail on the head earlier when you were when you made that allusion to uh porn because that andrew bird song feels much more like veiled it feels like artistry it feels like putting the work into like a painting or something um, as opposed to like a fucking Instagram selfie, like the the emo rap in that sense almost feels emotionally pornographic, right? Um, and I think maybe that's that's the difference. Um, and like at that age too, like I mean, God, talk about being seventeen, like fifteen, sixteen, seventeen years old. Like all I was doing was jerking off to everything. So it's <laughs> like this is in a way, no, in a way, like like listening to emo rap is is kind of like uh, emotionally jerking off. Yeah, no, it's like emotional like exhibitionism from one uh, one aspect, yes. and like the recipient is like emotional voyeurism. You know, why couldn't I say that? Why did I have to say emotional jacking off? Yeah, what you said, <laughs> that's what I meant. <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe a couple more years of uh, literature school will do you some good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just a rebellion after so many years of putting things in like the most like the the most palatable way possible. Now I'm just like, no, I want to get I want to get right there. I want to cut through it. All. <laughs> That's too funny. Well, I guess the question here that that leaves me wondering is like, okay, this exists, right? We have this like emotional vulnerability porn thing, but I, I mean, is this here to stay or is this like another passing fad? Because we've lived through this fad already, you know, in our teenage years, we've experienced this. And I, I wonder if this is just that 20 year cycle that we always hear about. And so we asked Fantasy Camp Point Blank, like, okay, is emo rap dead or what's going on with it? And this is what he had to say. It's hard to say, like, th things do come in waves, and the weird thing is, like, even with, like, the pop-punk stuff, which is, like, popping off more recently, you have to think about it, like, the target audience for music now, like, younger kids, 
They've never heard Blink-182. They've never heard Taking Back Sunday or any of these bands. Like, they, like, pop punk is, like, brand new to them. And emo music is brand new to them. So, like, they don't understand, like, I think that just makes the whole thing, like, basically, time and trends from the past can repeat themselves because there's a whole new audience for it. I think emo rap as a genre might be might have hit its peak as far as like mainstream success, but I think it's going to continue in underground music circles. It's hard for me to view it in like a mainstream lens because when everyone started doing it, I don't think anyone ever thought it was going to get to that point. thoughts on this do you have thoughts on this you know ian i do have thoughts Mine on first. this okay so anyway <laughs> uh yeah go ahead ian what do you want to say uh well now i don't want to say it now i look like, <laughs> I look like a jerk <laughs> well sorry man that's the bed you made gotta go sleep in it all right uh so just just to kind of make sure that we're we're starting off from because last time i feel like we we weren't in the same place i just want to mm. make sure we're in the same arena mm. i think emo rap is dead you do not, correct? Correct. Okay. <laughs> Why do you think emo rap is, is still alive? Mm. There's a better way to put that, but like, um, I, I, I kind of feel like emo rap is dead in the water. Like, it's like, it's still kind of struggling, but I'm just like sitting on the shoreline with my arms crossed, just waiting for that, that last, just waiting for its head to appear above the water one last time before I see some bubbles and it just goes down forever. Uh, I think I see where the, the diff the the disagreement is here um i don't think emo rap is dead yet but i do think it's peaked uh and maybe that's what you're saying as well you're saying yes the peak has happened and we're like maybe or like i think we're living right now is the peak or maybe maybe last year was the peak i would say 2018 2019 is the peak i'd say mm -hmm. like we're we're like halfway through the denouement like it's just you know it's it's steadily going going down mm. I, yeah, so I still think we have a big pop music influence uh, of emo rap music for at least the next two or three years. I think like we we're gonna see like uh, we're gonna continue to see like the weekend and uh, Post Malone, like big pop artists use very like emotionally charged uh, lyrics in their music and in like you know including in dance songs, including like other things. But you know what? I'm, rem I'm reminded of something I think we talked about before, uh, and I'm, I don't remember exactly in which camp, but I remember. Uh, there was an, an article headline from, I believe it was BBC, that was uh, the rise of the sad banger. And it was it was basically talking about in 2010, um, Robin, uh, who was like a Swedish like dance music uh, maker, whatever, <laughs> she, uh, music producer and singer, she uh, made a song called Dancing on My Own. Do you know that one? Yeah, we talked about that in, it was uh, K-pop camp. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so like there was like this like very sad pop appeal. And so I'm not even sure like when I, th when I think about emo rap coming from that context, like did, it's hard, hard to say like if the pop influence of emo rap can be credited only to emo rap or if it kind of coincides with like these other like famous sad pop songs, you know? But I, I, I guess either way to bring it home, like I see that... I, I foresee a couple more years of emo rap having a strong influence in mainstream music. 
you know, I kind of agree with what you're saying. And maybe this just comes from me being like Captain Kneejerk. And I think what I'm really saying, if I could like throw some, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Black. Context. <laughs> Shrapnel. To throw. No, if I could throw some nuance into what I am what I mean, I, I think that like maybe emo rap as a uh, moniker or like as a, a label is, is, is dead. I, I think that once the media cycle finished with the passing of Juice World, Lil Peep and Triple X Tentacion, I, I think that uh, anybody with like, I don't want to say good sense, but I think what we were seeing this with a lot of the people that we were reaching out to, there is this impetus to not associate with a genre that is seen as dead or dying if you want to make it as a musician. So there's like a scramble to disassociate with with being called an emo rapper. And I think that that will also lead people to explore different avenues, because I think instead of like seeing how far they can push the genre and what left it has to offer they're moving into new things and, and trying to be like on that next musical von, vanguard. Like we saw with um, Lil Fuckstick who called himself like a jock rapper. And it's funny because Fantasy can't mention this during our interview with him. He said that like uh, emo rap and SoundCloud rapper uh, has almost become a pejorative to like people making this style of music. And I think that that's maybe the most telling thing of all is that like the ethos that originally came to define emo rap is now used to discredit it. So like in that sense, uh, yeah, I think I think emo rap is, is kind of dead in the water. And, and now we're just seeing like, I, I, I don't know, the, uh, the the scrambling of the ants to find new holes. That, that is not a real thing. That's not a saying people say. <laughs> well, I'm going to I'm going to push back a little bit about what you say about the SoundCloud rapper insult, because I think sound, being called a SoundCloud rapper has been an insult for a long time before the rise of emo rap. Like I remember being like putting my music on SoundCloud in like 2000. 9, 10, 11, 12, I don't know exactly when, but around then and just being like, and like being a SoundCloud musician just meant you weren't, you weren't working through a major distributor. You were like uh, an under, like underground or like experimental artist that like had no real uh, fandom or pull. So, I mean, I think that that's, I think that that is uh, its own thing, but I guess like the, as far as like the emo rap part of that, like Machine Gun Kelly uh, has 17 million monthly listeners. He's one of the top, uh, listen to artists in the world now and his most popular songs out of the top 10 of them the uh, four of them with the most plays came out just last year with his uh, 2020 tickets to my downfall album so I don't think that it's going away anywhere like he, he's doing really well and beyond that like there's tons of these artists that I've never even heard of who have hundreds hundreds of millions of plays and like you listen to the music it's incredibly simple like just one guitar riff played for two minutes and then uh, uh like it might as well be like a pre-programmed beat on top of it and someone singing into auto-tune like any literally anyone can do this uh which is why we were able to but like we but like i i don't think I don't think it's it's dead. Like I think like we're seeing uh I think it's evolving. And granted, like tickets to my downfall, the Machine Gun Kelly album is is like that's a, like pop punk. It is like I don't, pop punk. I don't think of that as emo rap at all. But I think that and that's what that's what even Fantasy Camp was saying. Is like there's kind of like this new wave of emo rap coming through. I don't think that's emo rap. I think that's people trying I I think that's them trying to get off the fucking boat as it's sinking. Like again, like yeah, a former emo rapper releasing a pop album. I think that's him trying to shed his skin. Madonna style and you know suck the blood of the uh, virgin so that he can stay young forever that's that's an interesting take 
Well, I'm curious. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get a book of real analogies. <laughs> I like the the new analogies, but I mean, might as well, might as well make your own, man. Uh, but no, I think I think you bring up a good point. Like maybe like his return to like just like a very straight up like pop punk vibe is interesting. But like people still put it on emo rap playlists, which is fascinating. Like all the emo rap playlists that we've gone through to like try and be exposed, to, at least that I've gone through, in in search of exposure of new artists. Like Machine Gun Kelly is inevitably put there, and his with his new music as well, just because he used to be a rap. And again, there could also be like this nostalgia thing, like people just kind of refusing to let go, you know, and it's and that's the thing about about art, right? Is like when you pass away, you kind of get to keep living in, in perpetuity, which is like why it feels like Juice World, Triple X and, and Lil Peep are still with us and like why their influence on the genre can still be felt. So, I mean, I, I don't know, like it, it's an interesting phenomenon for sure. Well, we have our songs uh, that we are so excited to show you. But before that, we're just going to tease you a little bit with some products you can buy with your money. Take it away, sponsor. Hey guys, what's up? It's Shay. A lot of you have asked about the music featured here on the show, and we are thrilled to let you know that we've been curating some of our favorite songs into a few small Spotify playlists for you that are available right now and regularly updated. So go ahead and click on the Spotify links in the episode description and be sure to subscribe. We really love them and we hope you do too. audience, you'll be happy to hear that uh, that product is only responsible for the deaths of about seven dolphins a year, okay, down significantly from the 800 dolphins that died in that original accident in the Gulf all those years ago. So as she had mentioned before the break, we do have our uh, rap songs uh, for you Then we're very excited to, you know, be, just be the future of emo rap generally. <laughs> um, so in our first episode, we played the first song. To be completely honest, like not much changed. Um, and that's just because we we were kind of like over the song and we were like really excited about our second one. So what we're going to do is we're going to play our experts uh, analysis of what it is that we were doing over the song. So maybe to refresh your memory, maybe just so you can hear it in case you didn't. And then we'll play our finale, the grand finale, really, which is uh, what I think is our emo rap magnum opus. Uh, I'll say first that I like the beat a lot. That that guitar riff was was good. It was very uh, emo sounding. Um, That's what I was going for. <laughs> I think what I would my overall feedback as far as like emo rap goes. Mm. I think that the song was a little bit more poppy than uh, most emo rap. You know, like I, f- I feel like. You know, you polish that song up, it's going on the radio. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so we gotta unpolish it. We gotta like take back some of the polish and throw it up on yeah. top <laughs> Yeah. What you gotta do is uh, take every vocal layer you did and add five more. That's hilarious. You have to have a stack of vocals on every single part. That's like the emo rap signature really? sound. Really? Is it? That Peep kind of pioneered and that a lot of people oh. use as a template. Um, yeah, so I like it. I like the falsetto chorus. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like maybe you might be a little bit too good of a singer. Like you, you have to try a, to sing a little bit worse, like so that the auto tune hits more. Oh, <laughs> like I could hear the auto tune in the verses, but in the yeah. chorus, I couldn't really hear it that much. All right, well, let me ask you this: um, on a scale from zero, one to ten, one. Taylor Swift, 10 is Lil Peep. 
where does our song "Beautiful and Lonely" <laughs> land on the pop to to emo spectrum? Six, I would say. Oh, that's right. that's not bad. That's well, it's called yeah. a failing grade, but it's not <laughs> terrible. <laughs> no, like it's it's definitely emo. I get it's it's hard for me to tell because the lines are so blurred now. You know, right? Every like pop music is emo now. It's become so mainstream that uh, pop music takes a lot from emo. Well, I don't know about you, Ian, uh, but I was so excited to get. Uh, uh, you know, I think a, I think a six out of ten is a passing grade, isn't it? That's a that's a D. It used to be, and I know this as a fact because uh, I was doing just fine until my senior year of high school when they said, you need a 2.0 to graduate from high school. And I was like, oh, fuck me. I have a 1.68. So uh, I really had to scramble to be able to leave at the ripe age of 18. I'm happy with the grade that we got from our expert. I honestly like, and if an emo rapper was not like on the Taylor Swift to, to Lil Peep scale, we got like a two or three. I feel like, you know what? I'm realizing that it was a very one dimensional scale and that uh, maybe he was like, okay, if those are the only parameters I'm giving you, yeah, you're closer to Peep than Swift, but maybe maybe you're a lot closer to Corn than you are to, to either of them or something. You know, so uh, I don't know. But either way, I'm going to pretend that that was the best scale we could have possibly given him and that we did a phenomenally average job. Uh, yeah, you know, Taylor Swift, that, that famously borderline emo rap artist and uh, all those songs she wrote with Kanye West, which is why they were such great friends. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all of that aside, uh, you know, Shane, and I did write, uh, we, I, I don't know, I joked before we considered this one to be our magnum opus. It was certainly, I think, the closest we got to emo rap. We're going to play this without commentary, uh, just because you shouldn't have heard this one before. Uh, and then you'll kind of hear what our guest had to say about it and what we think of that. So without further ado, here, what, what was the name of the song, Shay? This one's called uh, Gravity and ah. uh, a special treat to the listener. You'll also hear my sultry voice uh, on the tail end of the track. So Yeah, uh-huh. this is the song I wrote about Sandra Bullock uh, in, uh, on the silver screen. So. Yeah, so like, enjoy. To a reason Gonna learn to feel the same as you Couldn't my heart now I'm bleeding Gonna learn to feel the same as You're crying out another day You heard the song but it's over You're calling out another way It's all I got, it's too late It's just like gravity song but it's over you're calling out another way but it's all my god it's too late you're just like gravity the way you're bringing me down you're just like gravity the way you're bringing me down you're just like gravity 
just like gravity The way you're bringing me down You're just like gravity You're just like gravity The way you're bringing me down I think I'm gonna have to go with seven on that one too. Hey. It's not. It's not like insanely emo. But it's it's close enough. Hey, I'll take a C. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other one I gave a six. This was a seven. So, yeah. yeah, it had it had a little bit more of the elements. I think it what it wasn't fully like. I mean, I guess it just depends on what year. I guess of emo ah. rap you're looking at because like I think of emo rap as like 2016 2017 interesting emo rap where it's just like you have a really basic guitar sample from like an old band or it doesn't even have to be an old band it could be a band from like 10 years ago or whatever mm. but you just have this like guitar sample it's probably an arpeggio trap beat under it and you're just you're trying to sound like you are singing in a scene band <laughs> from from 2006 but it's just over rap drums well yeah folks there you have it that's what we did that's what we had to say and uh frankly i don't think there's any more to be said on the matter so without further ado here is the favorite end of camp segment how brain how feel Welcome to How Brain, How Feel, our favorite end of camp recap to see if and how our minds have changed or if we've just become more convinced of our initial preconceptions. So, Ian, there's no surprise coming into this uh, that you were absolutely rabidly hating on emo rap. You've never come at anything more intensely. Uh, the All the hate mail you sent out in those first couple of days really set a new, a new record for camp re-education. Um, do you think you've been able to dial in any of that hate and uh, anger or are, are you still feeling uh, just as violent? The, the second one, for sure. Okay, yeah, same. Oh, yeah. Cool. Anyway, the, thank the you hate, so much for listening. I, I feel like this this thought is maybe only tangentially related to emo rap, but I think one of the most jarring, alarming things for me, we touched on this earlier in the episode, was again, like, these are songs that were articulating with, I think, like a surprising level of profundity um, and, and, and like with great accuracy, I feel like a aspects of the emotional, you know, experience um, about, you know, being in love, being sad, having anxiety, being depressed, being suicidal. Um, in a way that was like enjoyable and felt intuitive and uh, almost inherent of wisdom beyond its years, especially considering some of these guys were 18, 19, 20 years old. So, I mean, to that end, I was, I was kind of caught off guard. And then I, and I feel like this is a pretty common experience now. Like I read about a lot of these guys and especially like Triple X, I ended up liking his music the most and then I just found out like all this fucking awful shit about him, like as a human being. And, and just like one story, including him, like beating up his uh, supposedly or supposedly beating up his pregnant girlfriend. I, I think it wasn't contested that he beat her up, but it was contested whether or not she was pregnant. And then just like, you know, immediately disliking these songs. And uh, I think it's it's uh, I, I don't know if it's an important conversation to have. I'm sure other people have had it already. But like, I'm just curious to kind of know your and then I have a take as well on like what it what it means to listen to an artist 
Can we enjoy artists who are bad people? Like, uh, what, what's your stance on that? That's a really hard question because I also liked X's music more than I liked anyone else's. Uh, yeah. I, I like I like Little Peep, but I don't think I like it as much as like Fantasy Camp, like Little Peep, or like what it's like what he seems to mean. I guess for the genre, genre. as a yeah. whole, yeah. Uh, I don't know because I. I do like his music. I think it's like it, musically, I like it a lot, and like the production and the sound design, I, all of that, I think is great. But yeah, when you learn that he like fucking beat up his girlfriend and like stabbed his old, broke into his old manager's yeah. home and stabbed him and stole his laptop, like Jesus Christ, that's so fucked up. Like he went to jail numerous times, you know, and like, and he like, it's weird because like when you hear like music where people are like singing the praises of violence, like talking about shooting up a place or whatever. Like I, I always feel like it's it's in it's hyperbolic or not even hyperbolic, but like fantasy. Like it's like, but like in this case, it's just so it's just fucking autobiographical and yeah. like truly autobiographical. And like that's not cool to me, um, obviously. Like and as it shouldn't be to anyone to like actually be inflicting violence on someone. So uh, I I don't know. I like will it stop me from listening to his music? No, especially considering the fact that like he's dead so he's not going to be taking any money from like my streams or anything like his family like gets the money which is yeah. interesting so it's like i'm not supporting like you him. know him i am supporting his family his estate, yeah yeah which like i don't I, to my knowledge they haven't done anything wrong so maybe it's okay because he's dead that's an interesting twist i mean like if he was alive though would it be a different story if he was alive I don't know. I would probably, if he was alive, yes, actually, I do think it would be a different, I don't, I wouldn't it's, feel as comfortable, definitely would not feel as comfortable because I would be actively supporting him, right? And he could like yeah. continue being violent with the support. Interesting. Yeah. It's, I don't know, man. It's funny, man, because like I was really thinking about this and I actually like, I did some, some reading and I found this one article that said something along the lines of like, well, I don't want my art to be, I don't want my art to be held to like the same standards that everyone else is, is held to. Like, I don't want my artists held to these standards because I, I think we kind of uh, like conceptualize artists as like living outside society, right? And I, I think that's like an older idea though. I think that's the problem with that. I, I think because they're still thinking about art from like a modern perspective and like the goal of modern art was to try to like uh, imagine a utopia or outline problems of society as such so that we could move toward utopia. But I think that um, postmodern art is different because postmodern art or like contemporary art, the goal of that is to articulate the individual experience. And I, I think the the reality of the fact is that like, you know, we, there's no shortage of individuals, um, especially like, you know, modern technology has made it so that like anybody can rise to prominence and tell a story and, and tell it well. Um, so it's like, yeah, let's say we have a bad person that makes good art. Honestly, if the goal of art now is to uh, communicate the, the individual experience, like there, there's no shortage of individuals. So it's like, I, I don't think we should have a problem with like, you know, um, moving past uh, an individual and finding another one who can do it without any of the problems. That's really fascinating. I wonder, uh, I wonder how different that is than like, and I'm playing a little bit of devil's advocate here, but just like the, the idea of like a corporation. It's like, well, you're like an individual that is like not effective for this corporation. Let's boot you. And like, there's no shortage of workers or like there's no shortage of like, cause then it, the, cause then it, it's, it's interesting to lose the sense of like in the, in what you're saying is like there's indiv like there's infinite individualities. So like nothing, no individual one actually matters. Like, is, is there a loss of humanity in that? Like, do you just, is, does everyone become a cog in a machine? I'm not, and of course I'm not saying like we should support, 
um, people who are like beating their wives, stabbing or their managers, stabbing their managers. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't think we should do that. But uh, but it is interesting just to be like, oh, that one or this this individual doesn't work anymore. Everyone, I mean, it's like cancel culture. Uh, like, it, it feels parallel to cancel. It's not doesn't feel the same, but similar to cancel cancel culture. Actually, mm. you know what? No, it doesn't. <laughs> it feels very different. <laughs> but like, I wonder like if. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Do, do you feel like, do you, do you get what I'm saying at all? Or am I just like, I, I, I do, I do. And I, I think maybe like another aspect of the question is like, it, I, I think a reason I, I, I kind of agree with my sentiment, not the other person's who's like, I don't want my art held by the same standards is because I honestly, uh, and this is, I think a, a controversial idea. I don't think art is as important today. Mm. I think, I think art, you know, like at the turn of the century, um, in like the 1900s and stuff, like uh, as industrialization, like really kicked into gear and we were dealing with like, uh, you know, these questions of uh, colonialism and like eugenics and fucking, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Imperialism. I think as we were trying to, uh, I think as utopia was the goal, um, I, I think art was like a useful way to envision that. But I, I think we've moved away from this idea of utopia. And I, I don't think art is as important today because like, I think technology is like the real driver of cultural change. And like art at this point, is just like kind of like running as hard as it can to keep up, which is why, uh, you know, again, like everything just feels like a blip on the radar, you know? So it's like, uh, I would, do you agree with that notion? Do you think art is less important today than it was kind of uh, early on? My gut reaction, I haven't thought of this at all, uh, but my gut reaction is no. Uh, that that is um i, I don't want to say it, it seems like maybe myopic but maybe that's not not fair either but like i i think like okay you're saying we weren't we're not dealing with the question of eugenics as on, on a cultural scale but like we're definitely dealing with like uh fucking what's it called um cyber capitalism what's the term Techno-feudalism? Te yeah, well, kind of like, yeah. Techno surveillance capitalism. Surveillance, surveillance yes. capitalism. Yeah, we're dealing with surveillance capitalism now. Like, this might be, like, the biggest threat to, like, humanity, like, ever. And, like, um, like if we're not worried about, like, I don't know, we have, like, our own, we don't have the issues we had then. We have new issues because we've, like, in some ways moved away or sidestepped or solved other issues. And now here we are with our current set of issues. Does that mean that, like, art shouldn't still take priority? And I guess, like, even just to take it to a... a a separate uh, consideration, like the individual's interpretation and enjoyment of life might be like one of the most important things, like each of our individual happinesses, you know, like art helps us foster a deeper sense of self, a deeper experience of the life and might make each individual life more valuable and more important. And I think in that way, like, why would it not be just as helpful? Like, I mean, even just to bring it back to emo rap, like some of the songs I heard, I was like, holy shit, this is like, what incredible, like, um, sound design here. I've never heard a song like this or like, this is so fascinating. It's like, it's, it's making for a richer life. And does, does, uh, does richness of life matter less now? And it's funny because like, yeah, I love art. Like we're, I, I don't know. I think we both consider ourselves artists, mm. um, in, in a sense, but like, you know, can I, we talked about this during a reality TV camp, like, you know, name five contemporary artists, name five contemporary composers. Like there's, you know, there's like the artist of the week, you know, we have like flavors, but I, I think that art is drowning in its own infinite number. And I think technology has had a hand in that. So I'm not saying that like, it's it's funny because I would say, I would argue that art is important, but it's become less culturally important. 
I think art used to matter to the culture more, and now it matters more to the individual. And I think that, ironically, that like does away with the importance of art because everybody has what's important to them. But it's just like there's there's no real like. Uh, uh, well, actually, I, I no. Know. I want to touch on that because there's something about this that I think is really interesting. And maybe maybe it's not that we can't name I can't name five painters, but I think it's just that the role of painting as a society isn't as important because we've seen the rise of other forms of art, including, and most importantly, music and film and video. And so okay. like five, can, five directors that you think are important, artistic directors. Uh, I love Wes Anderson. I think Wes Anderson has had a, like a huge influence, like Tarantino, uh, Christopher Nolan, um, Christopher Nolan, the Batman guy. Yeah, yeah, he's done a bunch of movies. He, I think, I'm pretty sure he. No, I'm, I'm like, I know he's made a bunch of movies, but I get like, I think I'm thinking entertainment, not art, right? Like this, like that's like mass media. Well, so was art back in the day. I mean, like, so was like fucking. Was it though? Yeah, I mean, like to a certain extent, so was fucking um, Tchaikovsky. So was fucking Schoenberg at one. Well, maybe not Schoenberg, but you know, like <laughs> Rachmaninoff. Like, I mean, it was. I mean, it was certainly like somewhat. Like, it was always like upper class, but it eventually it was like. Well, because there was no mainstream popular culture back then, too. Exactly. So I think it's just that mainstream popular art. It's like it's, but it's like it's exactly like what we were talking about in reality TV. Like this is art for the masses. Like, and we call it entertainment, but does that make it not? art anymore just because it's also entertaining like i would yes, say yes that's would, why we have distinction i think it's it's a it's a it's i think it's basically a high class low class distinction like how how smart are the people making it and or how uh how rich are the people consuming it like that's i feel like all we're talking about when we talk about this kind of when we talk about that i think entertainment like are are you saying that because um Andrew Bird didn't. Well, actually, Andrew Bird's a terrible. You and Andrew Bird. (laughs) It's just the you know the flavor of the day. Uh, Let me think of a. Okay, so even like Fleet Foxes, you know, like they didn't grow up like they were just like some dudes who like made some art artistic music that was also popular music, like on the West Coast, like whatever. I don't I I don't know the guy's name, but I know the name that they go by. You know what I mean? Like I don't have to know the individual's name to know the the art itself. So I think like that is like an impact. Like they obviously have. They're not. They're not highbrow necessarily, but and they're not necessarily lowbrow, but I think it's popular entertainment. Like that art is still important but, and impactful. Well, it's like, and I think it's worth mentioning too. Like that's kind of what I'm getting at is because like you had to like pause and like look them up. What I'm saying like, you know, uh, art is, is it's almost drowning in its own inf- infinity, you know, where it's just like, and it's funny because you earlier, you talk about like, oh, you know, oh, isn't the way you view this like dehumanizing. You even just said like, oh, I don't know their names. Sure. Uh, I just know the, I just know the name of the product that they go by. So it's like well, they, they chose I, I mean, to not go by their own names. They could have <laughs> but again, gone but by. I, I, like, I, if, if like this art is like really important to you, like I, I feel like I, 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 there's there you interact with it in such a way that like it becomes more personal to you. And it's like if you could just like oh yeah like the 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 product or whatever. Uh, like I I think that that is in and of itself like problematic. That's so uh, fascinating. You know what's well, but like, okay, like a fleet. I can I can sing or hum along to every fucking note of three Fleet Foxes albums. Like, do I have to know what school they went to to appreciate that? Like, no, it's the art I'm consuming. I don't give a fuck. A, I mean, I like listen. I like Jay Tillman. Josh Tillman is the drummer for Fleet Foxes. He started Father John Misty. Like, I just happen to know that. Do I care? Like, no, I love because fuck- now he's Father John Misty. Well, yeah, but so that, but again, it's regardless. It's, I like Father John Misty way less than I like Fleet Foxes, but. I know some trivia about Father John Misty, but I okay. fucking love 
fleet foxes. You know what I mean? And like, they were super yeah. impactful to me. And like the art that they made spoke to me so much. Does, do you need to know like the fucking history or is that like some academic, like highbrow shit where you're like, actually this guy like went to this school and for like four years dated this person. Like I, I know that it used to be like that. Like we know like uh, historically, like we know a ton about like Andy Warhol and like his personal life because he was like such a character, but like, does, does, I mean, we probably know more about Andy Warhol as a person than we do about his like artistic legacy or like than his actual individual works. Like I know what he looks like more than I could point out name one of his paintings. It, it's it's funny too because like I actually have a book called The End of Art and they they use Andy Warhol as like they're like here's where it started. Like Andy Warhol is where the death of art begins, and I think that it, that's telling that we can say more about Andy Warhol than we can say about his art. I think that that's that's if anything indicative of this like movement away towards uh you know the the meaning of art and towards this like cult of personality that we attach to our artists. Um but I mean I don't I don't know and again like it's it's funny because like to me art is important. I think to a lot of people art is important, but I think our relationship to it has changed and I do think that distribution has I, I don't know lessened art's ability to make an impact and as such has rendered art less important than it was previously. I don't, I mean, maybe any individual piece of art, yes. But I think like all this is, is like, it's, you have an infinite amount of art to connect with. That I mean, that means, that does mean maybe on some level that the entire culture cannot shift because of one artist, but you can actually have more people total be affected by it. Like, like we were talking about like these emo rappers that have hundreds of millions of plays like that's more than any artist could have hoped for in the 1940s you know what i mean and now you literally have like basically the entire listenership of 1940 one artist can 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 get an up the a similar amount of plays and no one can have even heard of them like the 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 total impact is bigger like, but you're not moving the entire society as a monolith. I, I don't know. And I think if you, you're not moving, the, if you're not making any moves or there's no movement, then I, I think that's become inherently less impactful. And I, I think that it, when we take into account this distribution aspect, I think that the art is reduced to content and content today is ruled by an algorithm. So th there's almost like an, an incentive <laughs> to just like churn shit out. Well, of course, there's, so, there always was an incentive to churn shit out. Like, not necessarily, but not not uh, not in the way that there is today. And, that's and true. like, yeah. And you know, hearing your reaction, like part of me wonders if I'm if I'm just being like contrarian or if I'm just trying to be like shocking. But no, like I mean, this is kind of how I feel. Like as someone who like really does like love and appreciate the arts. Based on what I see on the culture as a whole, and this is just, it's just like my analysis. Like that's the conclusion that I've kind of come to. It's funny because I, I, when I hear it, I think of this as like, uh, I know you love the arts, but the argument makes me think you hate it, <laughs> which is like, <laughs> so like. No, I, I love, I love art, but I'm also like, you know, this is someone who is like, you know, I again, like studied poetry in college. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is so important. And then I get out of college and I'm like, oh, fuck, no one, read, no one reads poetry. This isn't important at all. Yeah, because I, 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 I and I think my my especially my reaction to it is I feel like and I, and I don't think this is where you're coming from, but I feel like this is an argument that a conservative lawmaker would make to cut. Uh, budgets for art schools. They'd be like, art's not important anymore. This book says art's dead. <laughs> like uh, econ economics isn't important, all right? <laughs> Just like, <laughs> you know what I mean? But that, that's why I'm, and I'm like, no, art's actually really fucking important. Like, and we should, yeah. uh, but I know you feel that way too. 
Um, I would love to keep talking about this, but uh, I'm sure the listener <laughs> is annoyed by uh, our passion. Sleepover. We'll, we'll have a sleepover on it. We'll, we'll bring on some artists. We'll have a big discussion. Yeah. So uh, just to quickly t- touch on uh, how Brain How feel before we uh, end the camp here. Um, I came into emo rap camp uh, very curious and like my interest was piqued and I thought I had a very strong idea of what emo rap was. Then I, I felt that belief totally shattered when I was like, oh, emo rap is a much different genre than I thought it was. And I, then I started thinking that Post Malone was emo rap and all this stuff. Now I've come around to think that actually I don't think Post Malone is emo rap anymore. I think Post Malone like <laughs> ha- has an emo rap uh, like kink <laughs> or something. And like, okay. And, uh, and like now after talking to Fantasy Camp and he's like, well, that's not real emo rap. That's like that's like pop emo like that's like pop rap that has like an emo lean and like real emo rap is his song that we're going to play in just a second and i think like now that i now that i think about it in that term in those terms i uh feel like i understand it again i still like it and seeing its cultural impact has been like really eye-opening um and i guess and that's basically it. Uh, and and far, far as emo yeah. rap goes, like, what a fun little detour of my fucking life that we made. It's going to be really weird to just disown it in uh, 20 minutes when we stop <laughs> stop this <laughs> recording. But that's where I'm at. Yeah. Uh, yeah just, uh, and I, I don't know. I think I think he was right. I think you were right. Pop, pop it, when we think about, like, music, pop is the leviathan that just devours everything in the end, right? So. Yeah. Well, um, I guess that's it. Um, our next camp, we are so fucking excited for get ready you little bitches <laughs> i don't know why i said that get ready all you shit-eating little piggies <laughs> like, jesus christ man oh my god Shay, dial it back <laughs> me and stephanie have been getting into some weird stuff um, oh <laughs> my god all right everybody oh 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 what's that who's that i hear oh my god it is our featured artist it was our featured guest it is the absolutely amazing the absolutely wonderful the undeniably talented fantasy camp and without further ado here is his song for your pleasure. Thank you for joining us. I don't want to think about it, but it's way heavy on my conscience. Telling me you love me, but you don't know what you want, I swear it's nonsense. Wishing I could be a man so I could tell what's really going on. Saying everything is fine with you and me, but you know that it's not, yeah. Whip around your block, yeah. Might not make it home if I take another shot, yeah. Baby getting numb is the only thing I got, yeah. All this time alone has been leading me to ride, yeah. And it's hard for me to say these things about you. Maybe can't do anything without you. Maybe we just need to break away from everything. And just feel okay, I don't wanna think about it, but it's weighing heavy on my conscience You're telling me you love me, but you don't know what you want, I swear it's nonsense I wish that I could read your mind so I could see what's really going on, yeah Tell me everything is fine with you and me, but you know that it's nice Things about you Maybe can't do anything without you Maybe 
think about it, but it's weighing heavy on my conscience You're telling me you love me, but you don't know what you want, I swear it's nonsense I wish that I could read your mind so I could see what's really going on Thanks to our guest, Fantasy Camp. To hear this week's interview in its entirety, become a monthly supporter and join our Patreon where you'll get access to those and tons of other fun goodies. Here at Camp, we love talking over great music. If you want to hear more amazing music like the song you're hearing now, then follow all of our playlists on Spotify. We hope you enjoyed this camp as much as we did. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and everywhere else. And stay tuned for our next camp where we become the world's largest people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, say no more. Bye, everyone. <laughs>